Hey, so today we're starting a new series and it's all about just joy and it's about Philipp- it's in the book of Philippians it talks about joy a lot. So we're going to we're going to be focusing on on finding what it means to be joyful. And I told the team this week sitting around the table I said I want to just like every week start with just a moment of joy. And they're like what does that mean? I'm like just do something stupid on stage. Whether it's a joke or a YouTube video. I told my son that. He goes, Dad, you do something stupid on stage each week. And I was like, he's not in here. I don't know where he's at because he's probably doing stupid around the building somewhere. But so I'm not real great at telling jokes. I know lots of them, but I'm not good at them. So I'm going to tell a joke today because I said, if you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have some of them come up here and do some moment of joy. But I said, I'll kick it off. So here's the bad joke of the day. So Bubba meets Sally. And he asks her, hey, Sally, how's your weight loss journey going? So don't do this first off, Bubba's out there, okay? Sally turns to him and says, well, it's been going okay, but you know, obesity tends to run in our family. Bubba looks at Sally and he says, it's not that obesity runs into your family, it's that nobody runs in your family. But um, shh. I like that. I like, this, the reaction I get is awesome. It's like a laugh, and it's like, a, we're not going to be offended, guys. It's just not how we're going to be. No, no offense. Intelligence is like underwear. It's important that you have it, but not everybody needs to see it. Boom. Yeah, we're going to stop. That's enough. I'm sorry. We are going to get to scripture. I promise. Today, like I said, we're going to be taking a look at Philippians. And Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's full of joy. It's full of encouragement. Um, and along the way, you're going to see a lot of verses in Philippians that you'll, you've probably seen hanging on walls. Um, they're, they're really familiar verses that have been used in songs. Um, but it's a letter that's written by Paul. And in this, as we go through it, my hope is that this will kind of feel just like a big, large group study as we go through a book of the Bible. So we're going to go through the book of Philippians. But today, before we actually jump into Philippians, my message today is kind of more of a a setup for what the book's going to be about. It's the backstory of how this church even began. So the title of today's message is simply this, the prequel to joy. And I'm hoping that, you know, this isn't like a bad Star Wars prequel, that this is actually something that brings you joy as we set up to what God is going to do in the book of Philippians. And it's actually, this uh, book in the Bible is a thank you letter. You know, Scripture is put together with all kinds of different books, such historical books, poetry, and there's also some letters in there. And this um, thing that we call the book of Philippians is actually a thank you letter that Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. And he's writing it while in prison in Rome. He's in prison in Rome for preaching the good news of Jesus. And numerous times he's almost been beaten to death. And now he's locked up and he's in a prison in Rome. And from this setting, Paul writes a thank you message. And it's a thank you message that's overflowing with joy. And I just want to let you just sink in, sink that in for a minute. I don't know if you've ever been in a place that you don't want to be at, but I know for me personally, that is not when I start thinking, oh, I need to start thanking people. I need to start being joyous. But Paul in prison is thanking this church for a gift that they provided. But not only that, he just overwhelms them with just the amount of joy that he has for this church. 
I would probably be writing some sarcastic thank you notes. You know, like the guy that gives you something bad for your, I don't know, your wedding. And you're like, I've got this, this is the 30th toaster I've had. Thank you a whole, whole lot. Like, I'd be writing kind of those sarcastic things. But Paul is genuinely just sincere about how thankful he is for this church. In this setting, he writes this letter about how much he loves them. He encourages them to persevere, to bind themselves together, to advance the gospel of Jesus. And the overwhelming message is this. It's a message that explains the way that a believer needs to think if they are going to experience true joy in a world full of trouble. It's something we're going to take a look at. The world's always had trouble and chaos. That's nothing new. It was really difficult at this time to be a Christian. And and Paul's going to write a letter of how to experience true joy even, even in a world filled with trouble. And I think this letter is just as important now as it was back then. Paul's writing it to this to the church of Philippi, but it's also written to the church in Paducah. And it's a message that's just as important because let me ask you guys some questions. Is it always easy to be a Christian in the world today? I heard a, is it always easy to be a Christian in the world today? No. Do you guys want strong Christian friendships? Yes. Do we want to experience joy that's contagious? Yes. All these things are things that we talk about and are heard in the book of Philippians. And a big thing is, Paul's going to want us to know that joy, and Jesus wants us to understand this, joy isn't derived from comfortable circumstances, but from having a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Joy can't be circumstantial. Otherwise, Paul couldn't write a letter about joy while sitting in a Roman prison. So joy isn't circumstantial. Joy is something that we have because we belong to Jesus. I want you guys to be happy. Happiness, though, is a lot of times based off of circumstances. And we want to be joyous because joyfulness comes from Jesus. So today, like I said, I want to take a look back at the way that this church started, the way that this church was founded in the first place. And to do that, we're going to actually go to the book of Acts. So we're going to go to the book of Acts, and we're going to be in starting chapter 16. In this passage, there's horrible names for places that I don't like to pronounce, but we're going to go through it anyways. So Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. First, think about that. Paul wanted to go somewhere. God kept them from going there. When they came to the border of Asia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, they're not able to go where they want to. So they passed by Asia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia and concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul and his friends had plans. Paul is wanting to share the good news of Jesus everywhere that he goes, and he has plans to either travel south from where he is to go into Asia or north to Bithynia. But it said in that passage, both times God shut the doors. On the way to doing something else, on the way to doing something that was actually a good thing even, God closed the doors. Paul couldn't go south. He couldn't go north. The only way that he could go that was left was to the left to the west. And Paul was a driven man. 
And he, you, you can read in scripture, he was always advancing and moving. He was a driven man with big plans. That, here's the thing. He recognized that God needed to be the one in charge. So if God wanted to stop something, if God wanted to change plans, if he wanted to redirect, that was okay. You know, I used to see bumper stickers that said this, God is my co-pilot. I thought, God's in the wrong seat in your car. God is in the wrong seat in your life if God is your co-pilot. Okay, I don't want God to be my co-pilot. I'd rather lean into the great poet, uh, Carrie Underwood, and Jesus does what? That's right. Not just the wheel, like the brake and the pedal and all the things. We want Jesus to be the one that's guiding and directing where our life is going. I don't need him just to sit by me. I need him to tell me, you know, and show me and lead me and guide me, direct me. So instead, the question that I have for us is in your life, where are you heading? And not just what are your dreams or plans, but is is God involved in your plans? A lot of times we're really good at making plans and really good about leaving God out of them. Let's get better about including God. Don't miss where he's trying to lead you on the way to other things because sometimes, sometimes here's what God can do. And sometimes we don't realize it because we just get frustrated because all of a sudden a door shuts. But sometimes shut doors are actually a redirection to God's greater plans in our life. You know, I've had times in life where I thought, I'm going to go to do this thing. I'm going to live in this way. And God just shuts the door and there's been times, honestly, when because you, you know what you can do with a shut door? You can push your way through it and force your way through it. I've done that before. That doesn't end up well. God sometimes just wants to redirect us because he's got a greater, bigger plan for our lives. So here's what I want you to do. Don't let your plans dictate the place. Don't let your plans dictate the pace. Don't spend all your time trying to plan out your next 10 years of your life without giving God the plan that you have for just, what, what do you have for him today? Sometimes we focus so much on a 10-year plan and God's like, I, I, I'm good with that, plan that, but what are you gonna do with me and why are you including me today? Now, I'm glad you guys are here in church because somewhere along the way you decided I'm gonna include him as part of my day. So thank you guys for being here if you're joining us online. But in that same way, so Paul gets redirected and he goes to another place And he could have just looked down and been like, I don't know why I'm here. And honestly, that's where some of you may be in your life right now. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm in this situation. I don't know what's going on. Um, I know, I mean, some of y'all are students in here. I see you out there. I remember being a student, like, can I just get done with this season? But I don't want you to ever discount, don't ever look down upon the opportunity of where God has put you in now. Never discount or discredit where God has placed you now, the influence that you have now. If it's a student, if you're a a barista, if you're a driver, if you're a CEO of a company, wherever you're at, look at it as I am a minister of the good news of Jesus Christ wherever I am now. Don't discredit or discount it. You know, my job, yeah, they call me a minister. My job is actually to equip you guys to go do ministry. It's not just for you guys to come here so that I can, you know, get you hyped up. Yeah, I'd love for you to leave encouraged, but encouraged to share the good news. Not just to feel good, but to say, I want other people to understand the goodness of who Jesus is. But that starts with you understanding that every day and every step I take is an opportunity and a mission place for me to share the good news of Jesus. So, Paul is redirected. 
And as he's redirected, we're going to see that he starts a church that he did not intend at first to start. So as we read in Acts 16, Paul's redirected in a dream to help the people in Macedonia. It's a, it's a region that can, contains an important city named Philippi. To get to Philippi wouldn't be the easiest of treks. You'd have to go over a mountain range. You know, it's not the Rockies, but it's still, it's a trek because you're on foot. And there are paths and roads, but it's still a trek. And Paul makes it over to this region, not knowing exactly what God was doing. But Philippi was a powerful city. It was full of riches. It become the home to Roman military veterans. And they even had the Roman status of being a free city. And here's what that meant. They didn't have to pay taxes. Come on, guys. They didn't have to pay taxes. And we might think, okay, but Roman taxes were oppressive. They're a lot of times enforced illegally. And so they would drain people's resources. These people didn't have to pay that. So there was an extra just added security financially there for them. Philippi was a leading city and an important stopping place. It was, it was built to be very similar to what Rome was and looked kind of like a small version of that. It was the crossroads of culture and geography. Sometimes when God redirects us, he knows what he's doing. So Philippi was actually going to be the linchpin that was going to start an explosion of Christianity and following Jesus in this area. God was setting something into motion. So Paul goes there. He goes to this area to preach the good news of Jesus. Paul's a church planter. So he's going there and he's like, I'm going to start a church because that's what he's been doing. And Paul has a pretty simple church planning plan. So Paul, if you, if you know anything about him, he was Hebrew of Hebrew, like Jewish to the core. He knew like Old Testament scripture backwards, forwards. He knew the law and the prophets. He knew all of it and God had redirected and changed his life. And so what Paul would do is he'd go to his old stomping grounds. He'd go to the synagogues. So the synagogues is where people would come um, that had a faith background to worship God. And a lot of times what they do is they'd be worshiping God, but they would talk about the Messiah, the one who was to come, the one who was going to change everything. And so Paul would show up to the synagogues and he would start to, to teach them. And obviously he was intelligent, so they would listen. And then he would start to talk about the Messiah. And then he'd tell them, I met the Messiah. I know the Messiah. His name is Jesus. And so he would start in a synagogue on common faith ground and begin to tell them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, a few of them would give their lives to Christ and the region would have a church that would be planted and started. So that was his strategy until he came to Philippi. Because when he came to Philippi, he discovers that there is no synagogue. There's no synagogue because there's not enough Jewish believers there to warrant one. You had to have a certain amount of Jewish believers to even have to have a, a gathering place where people could come to worship and learn about God. And there, there just wasn't enough in that area. So think about this. He's going into an unchurched region, an unchurched, an unfamiliar place. But there were still some God worshipers there, and he finds them. He goes down um, to a riverbed, and as he goes there, he sees that there's some people that are, are worshiping. There's a group of women that have come down to the river to find a place of prayer and worship. So in verse 13, Acts chapter 16, verse 13, we read, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected 
to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We talked about a linchpin, and the linchpin was about to be pulled, and it begins with a woman named Lydia. And as we're going to see, Paul's going to use three different approaches to help people understand the power of Jesus. And this first one is a woman named Lydia, and it says she's a dealer in purple cloth. Now, when they would have read that, they would have known Lydia was familiar with wealth. She would have been selling to wealth. She probably was wealthy on her own, right? Because purple cloth was something that people that had wealth would have. Think of her kind of like as a super successful like Etsy dealer, guys. Put it in our terms. TikTok, Etsy, she's got this. So people are coming. They know who Lydia is. She's gathered a group of women together. Paul sits down as the teacher, begins to teach, and her life is changed. Her life is changed with the good news of Jesus. God opened her heart and mind to believe. And it says that she was baptized after she believed, her and her household. That's why we we talk about baptism, and that's why we encourage you guys, if you haven't been baptized and you're a believer in Jesus, Man, sign up, talk to somebody, and be here on May 7th. It's, it, we see it time and time in Scripture. They believed, and then they were baptized. It's the model in Scripture. It's the model that we want to follow. So God opened her heart, and then she opened her home to Paul. I want you to think about this. She began her day as a non-follower of Jesus. She worshiped, but she didn't probably have any understanding of who Jesus was. She woke up and began her day, just another normal day, a non-follower of Christ, but as she laid down her head, her life was completely and radically changed by Jesus. That is my prayer for every Sunday in this place. That people would come and maybe they don't even know their their worship may be misguided. They just may be showing up because it's just a thing you do in the South on Sundays. But that you have a radical encounter with Jesus and when you go to bed, your life has changed. That's my, prayer for, that's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for this community, that people would just come here, maybe just with no real understanding of who Christ is, but Jesus grabs a hold of you and your life is completely changed. You know, last week we had over a thousand people in this place. And that's awesome. And that's something we're celebrating. But here's what I love celebrating. At the end, we had prayer partners down here. We invited people to just come down and pray. And we had We had people come down here and give their lives to Jesus. That's the win. That's the win. It's when somebody woke up and just said, well, I'm going to go to Easter church service. And then their life was changed because of Jesus. That's what we want. Paul went into totally unreached, unchurched areas, preached the good news of Jesus, and people were saved. That's what I want us to do as a church, guys. Here's the thing, though. Most people in our community, they know about Jesus. They may not follow him, but they're aware of him. But what's unreached is their hearts, their souls. And we're going to go to wherever God leads us to go to reach those who are unreached so that he can grab a hold of their life and their life can be changed. We're going to lean into the spirit of God to, to show us, God, where do you want us to shine in the darkness so that people can know you? But the church didn't just start with Lydia. As we continue to read in Acts 16, Paul goes back down to the river because people are down there worshiping and he's going to go see if there's anybody else. But he encounters a girl who's possessed by a demon. 
It's a girl that had men that were extorting her for profit because she had some kind of demonic ability to just appear like she was telling people their fortunes, the future. So this demonic possessed girl in bondage from the enemy starts yelling out actual truth. She starts yelling at Paul, this man is from the most high God telling people how to be saved. And she's constantly yelling this message. This man is from the most high God telling people how to be saved. How many of you guys know, even the enemy knows the message. But the message can come real distracting if it's not coming out from the wrong, the, the right voice. And so she's screaming and she's shouting and she's just pestering him, it says, for days. And eventually, if we read in there, it says Paul gets annoyed. It says that. Paul's annoyed and he turns to her and it says this, be quiet. Stop. I command you in the name of Jesus, demon, come out. And the girl is immediately, boom, delivered. Bondage broken, captivity gone. Guys, we may not have an experience this kind of demonic possession, but there are people that carry bondage all the time. That the enemy is trying to wrap them up in addictions. That he's trying to bind them up in, in thoughts that just are not in any way shaped and informed by God. He's trying to just um, show them that it's okay to just fudge and cheat here and there. And he's trying to just wrap people up in this bondage. And we have the ability to just say, hey, in the name of Jesus, you need to just stop it. He's still in the business of setting people free. And that girl is delivered. Paul casts out this spirit. And we can just, uh, it doesn't say it exactly, but I presume the person that sets you free is going to tell you about Jesus. Or somebody's going to tell you about Jesus. And we can assume that she she just decides, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus because here's what happens. These guys get ticked off because this person's set free. Sometimes you're going to be set free from something and your life's going to be changed and people are not going to be happy about it. But this girl's life has changed and her, these guys that had been extorting her get ticked. They take Paul and Silas and they, they take them to the place where criminals are tried and they beat them with rods. Then they find a, a jailer. They say, hey, keep a close eye on this guy. And then I'm sure the jailer's like, hey, this is no problem. You know, Roman jailers, and they loved torturing. They loved being in charge. They loved, you know, using their authority. A lot of times misusing and mishandling their authority. So if you read in there, he puts them in the cell inside the cell. So basically, Paul and Silas are in the dungeon and then they put them in stocks. In first century, stocks were actually kind of a torture device that would contort your legs, make you cramp up. So Paul and Silas have done nothing. Like they've done nothing, nothing wrong. Paul set a girl free. He's beaten with rods. He's in this dark dungeon in stocks. And you know what they decide to do? They start singing. They start singing. I don't know what they're singing. You are job, bro. You are enough. I don't know. I mean... Probably not. Maybe way more old school. Like, shout to the Lord. I don't know. But all of a sudden it says there's an earthquake because God inhabits the praises of his people. Yeah. Scripture tells us that. They start singing. And then deep in the cell, there's an earthquake and the prison breaks open. Paul and Silas are now free. Their chains fall off. And if you are a Roman prisoner, like if you're a Roman prison guard and the prisoners leave, 
your good is dead. Your good is dead. And they're not just going to take your life. They're probably going to torture you. So this prison guard realizes what happens. And he's like, I'd rather die an honorable death. So he pulls out his sword. He places it to his gut. And then Paul shouts something. Verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think about this. Sometimes it's our actions that actually lead to somebody else repenting. God uses our, they didn't do anything other than just the right, like they just stayed where they were and said, hey, you don't take your life. We're all here. They just lived in a way that honored God and this guy's life was changed. And he said, hey guys, what must I do to be saved? And then here's what they said. They said, well, you gotta go wash your hands and you need to go dip yourself in the water and you need to go on a five mile run. No. They said this, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There was no extra 52 steps to being saved. They just said, start here, believe in Jesus. Let's not make it more difficult for people to understand who Jesus is than just the starting line of belief. So this is how powerful the gospel is. The gospel is powerful enough to penetrate the misguided worship of a girl named Lydia. It's powerful enough to deliver a girl free who's been tormented by a demon. It's powerful enough to say, hey, this person in authority, there is no earthly authority above God. The gospel is powerful enough, and it is still that powerful enough today to change lives, to redirect paths. And it's not the power of Paul, it's the power of Jesus. Paul is just being used by the Spirit of God proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That Spirit is still accessible to you. You have the power of God, and you have the message of Christ to preach. There's all these different people that come together. You've got a wealthy person, more than likely wealthy, a wealthy female, Lydia. You've got a, a girl that had been, you know, basically a slave. And you've got a, a person that was in a powerful seat and probably just a common blue class type of dude. But all of these people now come together because they are influenced by one message, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Some people are going to be attracted to us in all kinds of different ways. Some people, we're going to have to teach them. They have to teach with Lydia. Other people are going to be through our acts of mercy and compassion, kind of like with the demonic girl. And other people, it's just us sitting and being obedient to whatever God has for us to show them, you know, here's who Jesus is. And as a church, we're going to try to use all those methods to help win people over to Jesus. But most importantly, we want to have a life that says this, in all, of our in all of our pleasures, Jesus is better. In all of our sufferings, Christ is enough. If we can live that way, then in every single good thing, God's still better. In everything that we struggle with, man, I know Christ is enough. Those are hard things to, to really actually live out. They're easy things to say. But as people start to see us live those things out, it's going to be attractive to them because we have something. So I want to wrap this up, but just go into the very first two verses. Very first two verses of Philippians. So I'm going to jump in just those two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. Think about this. 
This church that started off with these three people now has overseers and deacons, which means they had to, they grew to a point where they now had to establish leadership there. So it means those people were telling other people and the message was spreading because when we actually have good news and we believe it's good news, the news spreads. And these people that probably just like, one of the, it might, maybe this, this jailer is now one of the leaders there and people would see him and you are a leader of a Christian church. And you know, it's kind of the same way when people see me and they're like, you're a pastor. And I say, yeah, I'm just as surprised as you, come on. But Paul calls them something here in verse one. He calls them saints. How did they become saints? Did they perform some religious rituals, guys? No, it wasn't because of their behavior that they were called saints. They became saints because they changed their posture and position. They repented and they turned towards Jesus. They were now saints because of Jesus. They followed Christ. So guess what? How you doing, saints? That's you guys. If you've submitted and followed Jesus, now don't go around saying, I'm Saint Brad, like that would not be good. I mean, you can, but people are gonna look at you like you're crazy. And we're trying to tell them about Jesus and you calling yourself a saint to them is not gonna help. But the truth is, that's what Paul would refer to you as. And that's how Jesus would refer to you as. So as we kind of wrap it up, I want you to just think about this. It begins with a businesswoman, a slave girl, a jailer, some of their family, some other converts. Now they've grown to the point where they need leadership. It started off probably just as these, this collection of people that don't really have a lot in common joining together. And we come to church a lot of times like, I hope I find someone that's like me. I hope I find someone that lives in my neighborhood that's about the same age, that, you know, they got to be a UK fan because how dare they like UT or Alabama that would not go well. That, um, they have to have the same political beliefs because if they don't view and have the same politics, they probably don't believe in God anyways. And, and we just, we want people to be just like us, but God's kept starting churches with just a mixture of differences coming together with one common message. Jesus is Lord. So let's be a church that, yeah, we may have our differences. We may have things that we look different, we sound different, we think different, but we have one common message and one common thing. Jesus is Lord and he's alive. You know, Jesus before he left this earth, prayed a prayer. And what, one of the best things he prayed is he said, God, make them one as we, as we are one. He prayed for unity. Let's be a church that shows the whole world what unity looks like. Because the, everyone else is just, what's happening is everyone's segmenting into all these little different cliques and then they're fighting with each other. And that's started to find its way into the church even. No more of that. We can have disagreements. We can talk about it. But here's what we can have. Always something in common. Jesus is Lord. He's alive. So through everything else, that's got to be our common thing that binds us together. That even though you may think this way and I may think this way, and we can have some good dialogue and talk about it. We come back around this common thing. Jesus is Lord. He's alive. And I've had some big disagreements with people about different viewpoints that they have on things that are Christ followers. 
And we, we might even get a little bit frustrated with each other. But then at the end, I've always, hey, are we still on the same page? Jesus is Lord? Yes. I love you? Yes. He's alive? Yes. Okay. So let's be a church. Let's reach out. Get people that don't look like us. Think like us. People that just, maybe they're, you know, they, they don't come from the same background. But that's, what, that's how this church started. That's honestly probably how this church started. And that's how I want us to continue to grow and develop. Different ages, different races, different economic statuses, all gathered around Jesus is Lord. Now I want us to feel like we are a family together, that we're just, we're a house with a purpose. That we're a house that's set in motion, that's united with one purpose, to proclaim that message, that he's Lord, he's alive. You know, I, I love this passage because Paul's writing it 10 years after he started this church. You know, Relevant Church is 10 years old. And Paul is writing this letter like you guys are just at the starting line. Keep going. And that's where I feel like we are as a church, guys. We're just at the starting line of what God wants to do here. And I'm excited to be here. I'll be excited when I finally live here. Pray that we sell our house and find one here, please. But I'm excited to do life with you guys, to be involved in the different things that are going on in this community. I'm excited to see what God wants to do. But I'm most excited about just seeing this place continue to grow and thrive, to be a mixture of people that have come together with one purpose. So, I know this message kind of probably felt a little bit more geared. Sometimes messages feel like they're right towards you, and other times it's more like towards us. This was a more towards us type of thing. But there's still some things that personally I want you to just evaluate. And it's these three questions. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? And if he's not, we're talking about joy today. There would be nothing that brings us more joy than if somebody today said, I need Jesus to be the king of my life. Now, if he is your king, are you joyful? If Jesus is our king, then we have something to be joyful about. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. He's my king. I can be joyful. So are you joyful? The last one is just, are you guys ready for what God wants to do through you in this place, in this season? Are we ready for what God has? It starts off by he's our king. We're going to be full of joy and then we're going to run where he wants us to go. We're not going to try to push open closed doors. We're just going to head in his direction. Is he your king? Are you joyful? Are you ready? Let's pray.